Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and welcome to another special edition of Radio Brews News, recorded live at the recent Gabs in Melbourne. Thanks to Bintani, Brews News was able to take our mobile studio to Gabs and capture some great discussions with a wide range of people in the beer industry. We do a lot of conversations, but there's always something about having a live studio at Gabs that just sees our guests relax and talk in a way that they don't always want to when a microphone is in front of them. One of the things that we try and capture on the podcast is the discussion that occurs off mic about a wide range of issues affecting the brewing industry. And it's always a criteria for guests that they are willing to open up about these issues when we discuss it with them on the podcast. We rarely have that problem with today's guests. In addition to being very senior members of the craft brewing industry, they are always very forthright. And when you put them on microphone together and at Gabs, the conversation just flowed and it was a riveting conversation for me to be part of. They don't really need much in the way of introduction. Feral Brewing founder Brendan Varis has been a regular guest on the podcast and today he is joined by Richard Watkins, co-founder of Bent Spoke Brewing. So without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with Brendan Varis and Richard Watkins. And thanks to Bintani, who not only handpicks the best ingredients, but they usually handpick the best guests. But I really don't know where this next interview is going to go. Uh, Brennan Varis, Richard Watkins, Brennan Varis from Ferrell, Richard Watkins from Bentspoke. Welcome to Radio Brews News Live from Gabs 2019. Good to be here, mate. Best week of the year for people in, that work in beer. Absolutely. And Friday, the trade day at Gabs. Yeah, look, it's um, great to be here, Matt. You do a good job with these things, and uh, we love talking about beer, so um, far away, hit us up. <laughs> well, um, there's nothing I'm hap- not happy to talk about. There's no, uh, there's no uh, yellow marks on, on things, so <laughs> far away. As soon as somebody says that up front, I'm wondering what questions... They, they, they've got something to hide, and they're, they're all ready for it. But, uh, but Richard, as you know, we, we have generally caught up... Actually, we've caught up with both of you on most of the Hottest 100 recording days, and Pete and I have very much wanted to get down to uh, Canberra to talk to you, which is the only reason we haven't had you on the podcast before. There's something we wanted to do face-to-face. But the ACT industry has just been going great guns. Yeah, no, look, we're, um, you know, we're really happy with, uh, you know, what the ACT really he's sort of punching above its weight. Not maybe in terms of the number of breweries that they've got there, but certainly in terms of, um, you know, the people appreciate really good beer. So, um, you know, it's... it's uh, you know, it's a pleasure to make beer in a place that people actually want it because it's not it's not always like that. And it's an interesting town. I remember the first time I went there was in the eighties, and you didn't have pubs. It was more a club culture, and the street culture and the licensing culture of a place really shapes the drinking habits. How have how has the, uh, the the ACT in Canberra particularly evolved over the last 10, 15 years that you've been uh, involved in brewing? Yeah, look, um, we still don't have pubs. We have a couple, but we don't have many pubs, really. We have a lot of bars. so And we also have the most restaurants per capita in Australia as well. So that's a pretty big number, pretty big thing, really, I think, because what that does is it means that it, it, we've got a high level of sustainable um, hospitality businesses. And so we've got a culture that is, you know, used to going out and, and enjoying some good quality food and some wine and some, you know, now some really good beer. So... When we set up Benspoke, we moved to a part of town that was, um, you know, it was, a, it was a sort of a light industrial area right bordering on the city. So 
but we had we sort of had a, a in the back of our mind we sort of thought that the the city would grow into this area and it, it sure it sure has and we've been lucky enough to have a lot of restaurants and a lot of cafes you know and some other bars open up in that area as well and we obviously opened our brew pub and you know there's just a you know there's just a great density of people coming into that area and wanting to enjoy you know all things about flavor all good things now i have to admit it's just been such a whirlwind i haven't had a chance to really thoroughly go through the catalog from the rbas last uh, last night how have you both and it, you, you, you've both won quite a few awards recently but how did you go last night um what was the medal tally between the two of you who's the winner <laughs> Well, I think we're both losers, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, we look. I, I we ended about uh, eight, eight or nine beers. I think they all got a medal, but um, you know, we didn't get any of those shiny, um, you know, shiny gold ones. Um, got a few silvers, a few bronzes. So, you know, we had a few beers that, that could have. If I was judging, I would have probably pushed them over into the gold gold category. I mean, <laughs> when you miss out on a gold by point three of a point, I mean, I think that's you know a bit. And you tough did, in did, our industry. You, you so, did, did um, you? That, that happened? Yeah. So beer awards are great. Um, they, they, uh, but they're very subjective as well. So, I mean, the judges do, you know, do a really good job. It's actually quite hard, some of these big competitions, because they need to split so- styles up through multiple judges. So, you know, Brendan might have his table over there and I've got my table over here and my judges are a little bit, you know, a little bit more ruthless than, than Brendan's. And so we've all got pale ales in front of us. Brendan gives out five or six gold medals on his table and I only give out one so but if, if Brendan was judging my beers that I had on my table maybe he would have given out five or six gold medals so I mean you know you've got to take everything with a grain of salt at the end of the day it's a it's a it's, the beer awards for me are a celebration and good look look I, I should say that congratulations to all those um you know all those breweries especially the the champion breweries I you know I really value a champion brewery trophy um you know, lucky enough to win two of those as a small brewer back in the day. But um, uh, so I really value those. I think if you if you're entering a range of beers and you win a champion tra- uh, champion brewery trophy, I think that says you got really good, high quality consistency, which I think is really important. Something should be celebrated. It's a shame actually at the awards they don't get all the, the you know all the three category brewers up on stage and we all stand out and toast them at the end of the night. To be honest, because it, it is really that's really what the competition is about. That that those champion breweries, um, but. You know, the, night, the night's all about talking about beer. It's a lot of noise for beer, and it's great. So everyone's talking about beer, thinking about beer, drinking beer, tasting beer. You know, you're catching up with your mates. I mean, if, you know, Brendan and I have been in this industry for, you know, pretty well our whole lives. So, you know, we, we, we pretty well know someone sitting on every table at these ALBAs. And, and um, you know, like there's a lot of friendships there. There's a lot of um, camaraderie amongst all the brewers. And, and we're also pretty open as brewers as well. So, you know, you've got the younger crews coming through, and... We're more than happy to chat to them about, you know, what, what's in our beers and, you know, if they've got any issues that they have, you know, going on in their breweries. We, we just, you know, we just have a chat about it. And I had some great chats last night about, you know, about some CIP stuff and some technical, technical conversations. I probably exactly wasn't expecting after I'd had a few uh, beers at the Beer Awards, but your, uh... that's what we're there for, you know. And, and Brendan, how did you guys go last night at Yeah, Bell? I think I'd Rich's first comments is we've... We're both losers, but also we're both okay. So, like Rich, all of our beers meddled. Um, so, really, let's let's place it. You can't mark it second place. Uh, so, unless you get the trophy, a lot of brewers do. You, they may, but we we certainly never have. Uh, we've never needed to. But so the way we look at awards is about benchmarking and about just an external check. And so, yes, if you get a trophy or you get a gold or a best in class, then, then you've got every right, and you should. Milk that and, and use that for all it's worth because they 
don't get handed out, thrown around like pieces of confetti. So, so, so that that's what you do. But then, when you just miss those, you need to see. Right, if we made, if we entered ten beers or twelve beers, and um, three of them only got medals, it's probably we've just been had a bit of we've been looked at by our peers, and only three beers meet, met the minimum standard. And I can't remember what the language is for for um, bronze for, for for qualifying for that. But something like it's reasonable example of style with some faults that could do it something like that so so if you're not at least getting there then you probably need to look really hard and so well we're gonna we're gonna look hard to what we need to do to push a bit higher equally not every beer is always a trophy uh winning beer just by way of style so some beers they just don't have a spot that perfectly fit um so they're just never so we won't worry about changing those if there's feedback on technical stuff then then, then we'll go back and look at that but overall we're really comfortable that all of the beers that, that we entered have come come home with a medal I think one didn't um, so broadly our process there is is you know it's it's it's, it's saying that that we're consistent solid and sound process that, that means that you know we're not putting out stinkers ever um, and you know, is it stylistic that stops it getting higher or, or do we look a little bit deeper and, and look at a few little things we might be able to do to maybe improve our beer? How hard is it as a brewer? Most breweries have like a house um, style. Like they've got a house. How hard is it when you're tasting your own beers every day is it to objectively assess what you're tasting and, and, and pick up some of the things that an independent judge might pick up as well? I don't find it a problem. I don't think Richard does either. I totally agree that that cellar palette or um, house house Store character block. is a, is a, is an absolute thing. Typically, I, I you need to be objective. So if it's not a fault, then you don't mark then you don't mark against it. So just because it's not our house flavor or character, that doesn't mean it's not a fault. And I can really easily separate those two things. So for me, that's not an issue. That probably yeah. If you have, if it's your first rodeo, then maybe. You think it's not like the IPA I make, but I, I think that's what the associate program's for in terms of judging beer and that type of thing. So that's how that gets managed by, by the competition. Yeah, I think um, when you when you are looking at tasting your own beers all the time, you know, and you do, yeah, as Brendan said, get a bit of cellar palate or whatever. I mean, one way to get around that is to go grab a few beers from someone else. You know, bring them in, have a taste. Blind or knowingly? Um, look, knowingly, probably knowingly, because I mean, you don't want to, you know, if you. You want to buy beers. You, you, you're pretty hope, pretty hopeful that they're not going to have faults. I mean, you want to be you want to be trying beers that are you know at the top end of town. You know, you want you want those gold medals to try with your amongst your beers, and then you really see how your beers stack up and you know how they you know how they're going. So I mean, I always you know after most beer awards, um, you know, Trace and me look up the results, and she'll run off to the you know run off to the bowl shop and buy some gold medals and. We'll have a bit of a taste. Why wouldn't we? I mean, these are good beers. So, you know, like, um, we shouldn't be afraid of trying and drinking other people's beers. I mean, it's, um, you know, they, they, you know, I think that's one of the things in beer is that you never stop learning. And, and one of the ways to learn is to taste. And if you're tasting other people's beers, you're learning. So, I mean, you know, if you can keep trying different gold medals and, and or, or, you know, beers that are, you know, are really good quality, then you're going to really be able to assess your beers pretty well. So what approach do you guys take when you're in, in the weeks leading up to entries closing? Do you sit down and start tasting your beers more closely to say, hey, we're bang on this, this is the one that we're going to enter? Or do you even cuvee brew where you... Uh, so we're... Um 
Obviously, in terms of the, the weird and wonderfuls out of the brew pub, that just is what it is. It's the core range that perhaps we might have a few batches to um, select from, and we will taste those. Uh, and we'll just taste them in terms of... We, we may not taste them in terms... We'll taste them perhaps differently to how our internal sensory uh, might look at them. So we're going to say, we've entered this beer in this pigeonhole, so let's taste four examples of that beer and let's assess it to that pigeonhole, not whether we think that's the best example of that beer within our internal spec for that beer. Does that make sense? Um, so so we, we do look at it slightly differently. Um, and there's, look, there are absolutely beers that we make that just don't fit and they just don't get into it. Um, if they're close enough, we'll chuck it in, have a go, and we'll get the technical analysis um, and, and make sure that technically they're fine and there's no obvious faults that perhaps we're missing. But um, so some beers just, don't have anywhere to. Well, they're at, if they're perfect, they won't go well, just stylistically. So those ones just don't make it. Yeah, I'm much the same. I mean, we, we enter beers out of the brew pub, and uh, we'll we'll always um, before we enter our beers, we sort of do a little taste in the brew pub. So which ones are really, you know, tasting what we think are not only as Brendan said, really good, but but also um, they fit somewhere in the competition because unfortunately the the competition is all about pigeonholing beers into pretty exact styles and look this is the way this competition's run and and i'm happy with that there's no no drama there but but it's hard to it's hard um, well, i mean we, we one of our philosophies is um you know we travel travel the road uh, untraveled so we you know we like to bend the rules of beer a little bit so we're trying to find the gaps in between in, in between um styles to make new beers that aren't really this or really that so when we come to enter it in a beer awards there's really nowhere for us to go so um uh, I think that's um, you know what we do, and we do the same. We get our core range out, and we might have a couple of batches of each, and we try and pick the best one. But um, I, I have never, and I, I never will, brew a beer to enter into a competition. You know, I brew, I brew a beer, for, I, I brew beer for the consumer. You know, I brew beer for people who like beer, and you know, we obviously got a few people out there who like our beer, and I brew the beer for them. I don't brew beer to put a put a you know put a little uh, gold nugget in a cabinet i'll brew beer to you know for people to enjoy in the pub and um you know or, or from a bottle shop and and uh that's first and foremost that, that that'll never never change for me and we're we're there as, as well i mean i think philosophically you know we've always said our brewery makes beers that we like to drink um we don't change that to enter it into a competition and i think uh Equally, we're also fortunate to have breweries that are busy. That that precludes it by itself. We don't have the luxury just to park things and, and make an out-of-spec beer and then worry about blending it back later once you pull off a keg. I don't know how people that do these things do it. I assume that's what you do. We, we don't have that luxury. We've, we do have the luxury of having a brewery that, that makes and sells beer that lets people have you know good careers and, and work hard and do what they do and enjoy their, their time in beer. We, that's a luxury we've never had. Um, if we did still philosophically that, that would never sit with us at all yeah i mean i think the thing there is that if you do make a beer that's you know you take one of your beers and you hop it up so that it's really at the high end um it, you know it tastes great you win this award um and then that, that batch of beer as brendan said gets blended in with something else the consumer never actually gets to taste that beer so when they come and taste your beer and they go well hang on this isn't all that you know this is hoppy but it's not super hoppy I mean, we're letting them down. We are actually letting them down. They've spent hard-earned money to buy our beer because it's won an award for being super hoppy, but in reality, it's it's hoppy. So I'm not, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna um, 
you know, do that. I, I don't want to let... Oh, our philosophy is, we, you know, the customer comes first. It always has. I mean, it's a golden rule of hospitality. Customer's always right. Even when they're wrong, they're right. So we'll never risk that. That is, that's really a foundation of, of Ben's folk. So just moving on from awards a little bit, it, it, it's a great opportunity to have two... And I feel very good. You're both younger than I am, as we've established. But you sort of... Mate, you can call us old bastards. That's okay. But well, you're certainly senior members of the brewing industry without being seniors. But if you... I wonder what the seniors card for a brewer looks like, the brewing industry looks like. But if you were... If you were to sit down and give a state of the Brunion speech, looking at how the industry is going... Um, at the moment and sort of give your uh, overview of, of where we're at with the evolution of craft beer, where we're at as, you know, as an industry, um, what, what would you say? And this is a hugely uh, open question. Just uh, where, where are we so far as craft brewing is going? Yeah, it's interesting. I always, um, to answer that question, I always sort of just take a step back and have a look where I started. I mean, I, I started brewing in, in 94, 95. Um, I think, um, unless Brendan argues... Um, that probably means that I'm the uh, oldest consecutive the brewer oldest in Australia. Because <laughs> um, uh, I don't think there is someone who's brewed beer longer than that in a row. But You're still brewing, though? I'm still brewing, exactly. Okay, Three days a week, you know, up on the brew deck. Um, <laughs> loving it, enjoying it. Um, who's, who's carrying the bags up the stairs? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, we came down last Tuesday, did a bit of judging, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I had to carry a few bags up last week, and I was complaining to the to my teammates that I'd had a, I had to go and get an adjustment at the chiropractor. I thought I'm... I'm just glad you didn't say there was no one to carry the bags up to the stairs last week when you weren't there. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, I'd pull my weight. Um, you know, I do... If I can't walk up those stairs and do my job as best I can, like everybody else, then I'm not going to be part of the brew team. That's simple. Um, but I think I look back then and, and I go, well, when I started, there were five small breweries in Australia. Um, yeah, oh, look, and I can name them too. There was Bootleg, there was Lord Nelson, there was Shara's Little Brewery, there was the G-Bung Polo Club in Melbourne, um, there was uh, uh, St. Ives down in Hobart, and there was one more actually, so there were six. There was the, um, the one up there on the Gold Coast um, at Sanctuary Cove, Masthead, yeah. yeah. So um, there was nothing else going around, you know, and um, the evolution now is that we've got over 600 breweries um, in, in about 20, just over 20 years. So... The population hasn't grown that much in Australia, um, but I think people wanting something quality, wanting something um, um, better, something with flavour in it has grown significantly. So that's, I think, where we are in our industry now. We've got a lot of customers, a lot of consumers that want flavour. They want something, they want to try something different. They're probably not drinking. The average amount we drink is probably less than what it was back then, but people are more discerning they really want to taste something that gives them a you know they go oh wow that was great you know you're sitting out on the deck on a sunday afternoon having a you know a bit of cheese or whatever and you have that 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 moment where you have that great beer and you just sit there and you know life's all good well that's what people are into now you know we're not into slugging down 11 pints at the at the uh you know the old pub and 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 going outside and using the tiles on the wall to to go be able to go back in and have eleven more, you know, we we uh, that's where we are. I think as a as a country and as a you know as a um, a discerning population. Yeah, I think that's broadly where we are as food, beer, beverage overall. And then so if you you go 
back a level to where Kraft sits within. We're used to more diversity, quality, and whatever. Those opportunities where Rich said, as you sit back and you have an amazing beer, they're certainly more available um, because of distribution is one reason, and because consumers have demanded diversity is another reason. Uh, equally, because our industry has lifted its game to a degree in quality. Uh, still not sitting here saying every craft beer I ever buy, I finish drinking. Um, we do, you know, there's some work to go to, to do there. And you know, one of our things, one of the things that I've said from when I've started is, if you make and sell a bad craft beer, and the person who buys that has never had a craft beer before in their life, we've lost that person forever. They're back to their old brands and, and what they know. So, so that still remains the ultimate challenge. We've made some ways uh, uh, to improving that. We have, we have some ways to go. Channels are opening up of distribution. Consumers are demanding more. So, so broadly, it's positive and, and, um, and bright. But work to do, and we can never be complacent. That's an answer that's looking at it in terms of the market and the consumer level. What's your feeling with, um, and, and, and we saw figures yesterday, I think there were 460-odd excise-registered brewing operations. Um, so for, for all the brands on top, in terms of businesses that have invested in stainless or have actually a, a business behind them, is your feeling that there are a lot of people who are doing it comfortably, a lot of people making money, or is it is it a pretty tough game to be in? Look, I've always really been a big believer in that there's only two models at work. There's two models. You're really, really small and you're a brew pub. Now we're starting to sound like the two old Muppet judges. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you're really really big, and when you're really really big, and you have a you have set up a big brewery, I'm talking 50 heck. I'm not talking 12 or 18 or 25. You got to be 50 heck. You got to be able to make beer at a price that you can sell it to make money wholesale, which is a hard game. It's super hard. My my big thing is if you have one of those two models, then you can do whatever other model you want. But they're the two models that tick all the boxes in terms of running a good business. You know, keep cash flow under control. You know, service debt. Um, you know, pay your staff, pay your pay your excise, pay your tax. All those things. Now, you know, you look at you look at our industry at the moment, and there's a lot of breweries. And I'd love to know what that percentage is, but I'd have a stab now and say that there's probably well over fifty percent of the breweries that don't meet any of those two requirements. And I think that I think that's one of those things where tap rooms are what people need to get into. People need to get into retail. They need to learn about hospitality, get into retail, really carve out a niche, carve out, um, you know, learning about business. I mean, one of the things, and this is, I'm happy to say this because it's just what the way it is, but the, the biggest thing I took out of working at the Wigan Pen for 17 years and brewing beer there was that just because you own a business doesn't mean you're a businessman. And I think that there's so many people that fit in that category in our beer industry. They need to learn about business. They need to understand how to run a business, how to manage cash flow, how to manage staff, all the all the um, you know the, the the legal requirements, the the regulatory requirements, and and that way we'll have better beer. Because what what that'll lead to is people being able to invest in you know equipment to be able to measure things. Um, it'll lead to you know, better equipment, it'll lead to training of their staff, it'll lead to purchasing better ingredients, all the things that lead to quality, breweries can do and they don't have to skimp on because 
if you're struggling to pay your bills, you look at your costs and you look at, all right, I'm not going to buy this or I'm not going to do that because I can't afford it or whatever. And then that means it leads to quality beer. And you can't just, you can't just live on a, a lifestyle anymore in, in beer. You can't just sell a lifestyle, produce shit beer and get it over the line. You can't just rock up at a pub and have a DJ play and, and have sour, some sour, you know, some some default sour beers there and expect to suddenly have 100 people buying cartons and walking out the door. You've actually got to offer people something that they want to come back to and drink. Yeah, so, and I guess in terms of your question, how many are sustainable paying their bills doing it? I don't know. I probably don't get out and about as much as I, I used to. Um, I'll say anecdotally, it feels cluttered in that, in terms of that. It feels cluttered and, and full. Um, and if I had my time again and I was starting from ground zero, um, we had to be the guy that entered the market now for the first time and tried to carve out a niche when there's so many people that are trying to do carve out their own little place about what they mean, what they stand for, what they do and why they're different now as opposed to back in the day when we opened, which was 16, 17 years ago, and we'd walk into a pub and the publican would say, craft beer, I don't know what that is, but get out. Now the path might be trodden, but there's a lot of bloody people on it. So what's harder, beating the path down or sharing it with everybody? Don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never really come from a production brewery background, but I was always um, keen to, even from, from back in the Wigan Penn days, we had so many people asking for our beer outside of our four walls as a little brew pub. So when we set up Ben Spoke, we were always going to package our beer at some point. It was just when was the question. But we always wanted to start with our brew pub, get it going, get it going well, selling a bit of beer. When we built the, the brew pub, we actually came on site and put can lids under the reinforcing. So when you actually went downstairs and you look up, you can see can lids in our ceiling. So that was a sign that before we even opened that we were going to package our beer. But we never had a timeline really on it. It was just all about, you know, how busy the brew pub was going to be and whether we could generate, you know, the, you know, some, some, some cash to be able to fork out on a canning line, I guess. Um, so, you know, you've got to have a bit of vision and, and da-da-da-da, but, but you, you do need to just really get your foundation solid, um, and I think and that's really important. Um, I'm going to do, do a mic drop, and um, I'm going to go ring the bell. I get to ring the bell today, so I'm off. It's been good fun. Rich, keep dropping those pearls. <laughs> BV, Brendan Barris, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And we will see you in West Australia for uh, West Australia Beer Week, if, if not before. Just wanted to pick up that uh, topic a little bit, which you know, the, the difference that they're business people. And I, and I guess there are a lot of chefs who own restaurants, but they call themselves restaurateurs, not chefs anymore. Is, is, is that the way, if you are a... Is it enough to be a brewer or are you a brewery owner and is there a difference? Look, um, I think, um, you know, when we started Benspoke, we were lucky enough to partner up with some people who knew about business. Um, and we wouldn't have opened Benspoke, we wouldn't have done a brew pub um, if we didn't have the right combination of skills in, in, you know, in the business. Because I was a brewer, I knew about brewing, I could brew some, you know, half decent beers and that was the, that was the foundation of the, the vision to set up the brew pub. But we need to partner with people that... Um, you know, had some business acumen that I could learn off. And I've learned a hell of a lot in, um, you know, we're going to be five years old next uh, in two weeks. And and uh, so now I, I feel like I've got a bit of a grasp on running a business. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm over the line, but, I'm, you know, I've got a bit of a grasp on it. There's a lot to learn about it. And I think it's fundamental in terms of making good beer is you understand the business side of it. 
And I think that's, you know, if I was going to have my way again, I'd still do exactly what I've done. There's really little that I would change in, in terms of opening a brewery in this day and age, to be honest, um, in terms of how, how I've gone about it. The only difference would be whether we've, you know, got into pack, whether we would have gone into packaging earlier or later than what we currently have done um, based on how well the brew pub went. Just look at, look at, this is one of those conversations that tends to go on very, very late at night for hours over a, over a couple of beers. So I'll just ask you one more question. What do you think are the greatest risks that small brewers are facing at the moment? You know, is there anything on the horizon? Is it is the risk from within, or is the risk from without the, the, their own business? Yeah, look, I think um, one of the one of my philosophies has always been to to when we're putting out, even when we're putting out new beers or doing something new, that we we think about what can go wrong and try and you know put in place some some measures to to counteract things as as they come to fruition. I think. One of the business, uh, biggest risks our industry has at the moment is that I think not a lot of people are putting enough thought into what actually their plan is. And I think if I went around to the 600 breweries in Australia and said, "Have you got a, you know, have you got a business plan? Have you got, have you got your vision listed out? What do you actually believe in?" I don't reckon they'd have anything concrete to, to show me. And I think that's something that I learned, you know, maybe not straight away, but pretty soon after that. We needed to have something documented that this is what we're going to do. We needed to have something documented, this is what we believe in. You know, we needed to have a do- something documented, this is our vision. And without all those things, you've really got nothing to turn up to work for each day. Even though you love what you do and you love hanging out on a Friday avo with your punters in the bar having a beer, if you, if you can't sort of get your whole team on the same road, then, you know, um, how are you going to possibly manage all these things that pop up every now and then you're going to end up you know on a, on a merry-go-round or on the on the wheel downstairs going round and round and not really knowing i mean look and ben spake's not 100 percent perfect we, we've had to really readjust our vision and readjust our values and readjust what we're doing um and we're still we're still with you know we're putting a lot of effort into um you know getting everyone on the same road and we're, we're heading there um and uh, well, we can we can get better. Like we can get better at our, uh, you know, at our, at our business, um, and we are, which is great. Um, but so we're not we're not um, we're not perfect. But um, we we, we recognise the value of spending time on you know making the business better. And I think that's something that I'm not sure a lot of people realise. They they're really just running around making as much beer as they can, chuck a few kegs in the ute, drop it off at a pub. The pub brings up you know on Friday Arvo and. Oh mate, we need a couple of kegs for the weekend, and they chuck a couple of kegs on and run down, and probably don't even include their time and everything else in the cost of that beer getting to that pub. But um, you know, that's that's part of running a business. You've got to have systems in place to be able to control all that and to be able to get better at all that. And uh, and I think that's our, a risk in our industry. We've got a lot of breweries at the moment. I think running around, probably not really knowing, you know, knowing what their goals are, knowing where they're where they're going. Do they get away with it because they're passionate? And is they that do. They do get away with it. They get away with it most of the time too because they're making good beer. But that's that's not the being an end all of running a good business. I think I think you can make the best beer and not have the best business. So you can also make not so good beer but still have a good business. Um, how, I'm not sure that's that's a that that model has longevity. You know that can be short and short and sweet. But I think um, I think you really want. You know, you want good beer and good business. Maybe that's a new beer name, Matt. Good beer and good. 
Well, we've actually got a beer as a business podcast um, in, in the works. So it's not just a conversation, but it is also a business. Look, mate, I, as I said, we could talk for hours and hours, but I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, just, I think we're coming to the end of the first session of Gabs. So, Richard Watkins, thank you very much for joining us uh, on Radio Brews News Live from Gabs, proudly presented by our good friends at Pintani. And uh, Ab- Pete and I absolutely will uh, sit down and lock in some dates because I'd love to do a swing through and even do a, um, a uh, group, uh, like a, a panel discussion with all of the Canberra Brewers and talk about some of the stuff that you guys have got down yeah, there. Yeah, let's have you down and let's, um, let's uh, you know, get an interactive uh, little session going. We've got a lot of, um, you know, we've got a lot of really good, uh, intelligent, um, really discerning, you know, they let me know when the beer's not, not up, to the, up to standard, so people in the pub that are really passionate about good beer not just ben spokes but other other breweries around australia so let's get them all in let's have a really good chat and uh, once again thanks for having me on the show appreciate oh, mate, it always a pleasure always love chatting to you and that was brendan virus and richard watkins and i have to congratulate our producer joe for making the audio from gabs in very trying conditions sound so good if only my voice held up just as well as the audio did. And I apologise for quite how raspy my voice was getting by the end of this podcast series. We'd also like to thank Craig, Steve and Guy and the whole Gabs team for the use of the space that we recorded in at Gabs this year and we congratulate them for another incredible Gabs series. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au.